This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. All right, well, it's good to see you, men. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And uh, I believe something really special and sacred happens when men get together. I grew up in a neighborhood... Uh, My dad, as far as I remember, was really the only dad in our neighborhood. Bunch of kids, no dad, so a lot of problems. And then I remember not really knowing what a man should be or do or look like until I went to college. Fast forward. And in college, shocker, they didn't teach me much about how to be a man. It's not really the greatest place to learn about masculinity as at a state university. And so I ended up uh, becoming a Christian and then ended up going to church and they invited me to a men's retreat. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of it. And so I went and it was the most significant thing that happened in my four years of college. What I learned in the church was far better and far greater than what I learned in university and university went fine. But I remember going to the men's retreat and walked in and we were out in the middle of the woods and guys were singing. I'd never seen men sing in public. I saw a bunch of guys carrying Bibles. I'd never seen a guy carry a Bible. Young guys, old guys, single guys, married guys, all kinds of guys. And then we'd have dinner together, pray together, guys would have conversations. And then I had older men coming up, hey, you know, welcome, good to have you. How are you doing? How can we pray for you? Are you seeing anybody? I am, are you thinking about getting married? Yeah, do you know what to do with a wife? I was like, I I got no clue. I'm like a dog chasing a fire truck. I hope to catch it. And if I do, I'm not sure what to do with it. You know, but I'm I'm trying to to get this gal to marry me. And and it dawned on me, like I need some men to help me learn how to be a man. And that got me connected to a great men's ministry. And it was at that men's retreat that God spoke to me audibly. I went for a walk. And I was just talking to God out loud, a brand new Christian, didn't know much. And uh, God said, uh, Mary Grace, which was my girlfriend, preach the Bible, train men and plant churches. He told me at age 19 what to do for the rest of my life. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And I believe that God likes to show up in special and significant ways when men get together. I believe that God wants to help men, help other men be men like Jesus. And the men in that church were really life-changing and transforming to me. And that's really the heart of what we're doing here with real men. And I believe if you get men, you get multiplication. Uh, With most of you guys are married and many of you have kids and you have grandkids or you're gonna have great grandkids. There's a family at the end of the book of Genesis, they go into a nation called Egypt. There's merely 70 people. Fast forward a few hundred years at the end of Exodus, they leave to return home and they're a nation of a few million. Nation of a few million. And the moral of the story is that if you get men, you get multiplication because you get families and generations. That's why men's ministry to me is so significant and so important and why I wanna honor you for joining us. Tell you I love you, I appreciate you. We're here to build you up, not beat you up. But I just wanna encourage you that you're doing the right thing. And if you are new, surrounding you are some extraordinarily good men and they're here to help and their hearts are the heart of God for you. And so the way this works, I'll teach on Sunday and then I do an application of the sermon for the men during the week. I wanna thank you for joining us. Thank those online for joining us. Thank the small groups that are now meeting around the country and world and guys are going through the content and doing what we're doing. Praise be to God. We're just here to help. But what I wanna hit this week is out of Daniel chapter five, five things real men take seriously. So I'll just do a bit of an overview of Daniel chapter five and then apply it to you men. 
Uh, first one, uh, generational legacy matters. One of the real benefits of the whole Bible is it shows us what happens in families through generations. And that shows us, okay, they made these choices and these were the consequences. They played favorites with their kids and it went really bad, or they married believers and it went really good. It gives us some generational perspective. Most men are thinking about a good time. God's men should be thinking about a good legacy. Okay? There's a difference between a good time and a good legacy. And, and what we're learning here in Daniel chapter five, there is a bad guy, he's a king named Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, modern day Iraq, bad guy, dictator, but he is the most powerful, affluent, significant human leader on the earth in that day, geopolitically speaking. What happens after him is his son, Nabonus, takes the throne. He's away on some sort of business. So Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, that's the guy we meet in Daniel chapter five, he takes the throne. So now we're looking at three generations. It seems like grandpa's gone, but grandpa built a massive empire, huge nation, conquered peoples, looted, plundered. He is the king of kings on the earth. His son doesn't do much. What does his grandson do? For those of you that know the story in chapter five or with us on Sunday, what does the grandson do? Just party. He's just a spoiled trust fund kid. He's every bad 80s movie. Dad goes away and the kid throws a huge party at the house and has all his buddies over to get drunk. That's exactly what happens. The only difference here is his house is a palace, so it's quite a party. And the moral of the story is that in Daniel chapter five, the whole nation of Babylon is plundered. It falls in an instant. And it just goes to show you can do a lot, but if you don't have children and grandchildren who have wisdom, you can give them wealth and they will squander it, they will waste it, they will lose it. Okay. What oftentimes happens with men, we think I need to amass some wealth that I can hand off to my children or my children's children. That's not a bad thing. Proverbs says, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. God wants us to be thinking in terms of legacy. God wants us to be thinking generationally. But if all you give your children or grandchildren is wealth and you don't give them wisdom, what happens? They blow and waste all the wealth. How many of you, this is the story of your family. My, a couple generations ago, my family, owned land, had multiple companies, was prospering. By the time I was born, everybody is broke. They drank and spent it all. They started with a lot and within two generations, there was nothing. It's like this story of Belshazzar. And so as God's men, we're trying to think generationally in terms of legacy. And that's not just how much wealth do we leave, but how much wisdom do we leave? Because you can have wisdom and no wealth and figure it out. You can have wealth and no wisdom and never figure it out. If you can get wealth and wisdom together, now you've really got forward momentum and progress. Well, Nebuchadnezzar gives his kid and his grandkid wealth, but no wisdom. And as a result, everything he really devoted his whole life to was absolutely gone, literally, within a generation or two. And so it just teaches us as men, we could put so much effort into our company, our business, our wealth, that we forget wisdom. And if we don't also give wisdom, then all that wealth will just be wasted. That's the great horrific story of um, Belshazzar. And, and the two reasons I think that their, their, their wealth 
ultimately was wasted is number one, they did not bless others. Throughout the book, this family, take, 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 never give. They don't tithe to God, they don't serve, they don't help the poor, they're not generous. They're not blessing or benefiting anyone. This is a family that succeeded in hoarding wealth and as a result, they didn't bless anyone. And then as a result, they mismanaged what they had. So I know many of you guys are at that place, you're thinking about life insurance policy and retirement account and investments, and you're really excited about the stock market because it's doing this. And all of that is well and good, but in addition to wealth, we need wisdom and to leave for our children or our children's children is not just wealth, though that's a good thing, they need wisdom, otherwise the wealth is wasted. Second thing that we see in the story of chapter five in Daniel, Satan has not changed the menu in 2,600 years. How many of you have got a restaurant you love? You go to it because you know the menu and it never changes, right? You love that? Satan has a menu of temptation for men. And here's the deal. He's never changed the menu. You know why? Guys keep ordering. Guys keep ordering. In chapter five of Daniel, for those of you who know the story, what's on the menu? Women and alcohol. Still, I am told, very popular. That's what I've heard. I've not, I've not done a sociological study. I've not, I've not done tremendous research. I just hear, you know, third hand, of course. I hear, not you guys, but, but some of you guys have told me about your friends. And it seems like, it seems like, like, like sex and alcohol are still a thing. Is, is that true? I mean, I'm in church all day, so I don't know. I'm asking you guys, you guys are out there. Is it still a thing, sex and alcohol, still a thing? Yeah, oh, it is. Okay, okay, okay. That's kind of what I thought. And, uh, and so what happens in chapter five? He throws a party and he's the king. Belshazzar's the king. And he throws it basically in their equivalent of the White House. They've actually excavated the ruins of this ancient palace. It's about the same size as the main house at the White House. It says he has a thousand lords. These are guys with titles. It says, in addition, there's some other people present. Do you remember who they are? The wives and the concubines. Who are they? Those are the gals that the wives don't like. That's what concubine means, okay? Um, So you've got a thousand lords plus the wives, plus the concubines, and there would be other people there that weren't lords and leaders. Most commentators think this is 15,000 people at a party. That seems like a lot. What are the parties in our town that are at least that big? (laughs) The TPC Open, the Wasted Management Open. (laughs) Uh, they forgot the D at the end of the sponsorship. It's drunken golf. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, but we, we throw big parties here. One of the things that Phoenix and, and the greater valley around us in Scottsdale is known for is everybody comes here for what? Fun. Drink, party, fun. Bowl games, tailgate parties, right? I mean, casinos, we are right next to the casino. You know, and every time I hear people complain, why did they have to build such a big church? Hey, we could put all the churches in the casino. The casino is huge. That's where all the real money is. And they've got the nice screens, you know? So the point is that men still like to get together and waste money to drink alcohol and to take advantage of women. And so this is a huge party. And we know that the, uh, the real thing that's going on here, it's, it's deviancy. Because in typical state dinners, when the guys were gonna drink and do nefarious things, you would excuse the wives, okay? But here the wives are with the men. So this is very nefarious. 
And in addition, it's men, wives, and concubines, and they're drinking how much? A lot. So it's, it's deviancy, it's debauchery, they're drunk, and it's dishonoring of God. In the middle of the party, the king decides, hey, let's, uh, let's, all, let's all drink, um, go get all of the silver and gold vessels that we stole from God's temple. Now, how many of you guys, you, you, you used to drink a lot and you actually would have done this, right? Some of you, let's just be honest. Some of you guys are like, well, if I had some gold goblets, uh, but I didn't. So instead I used a red cup. You know, you, you, you go with what you can afford. But what he's doing here is he's really just mocking God. And, and what's gonna happen here is that God is gonna judge them and take the whole nation down in an instant because those vessels are supposed to be holy, dedicated, commissioned unto the Lord, and they're being used in an unholy way to dishonor the Lord. So question, does God have holy vessels today? Okay, who or what are the holy vessels? You are. The New Testament talks about his people as the holy vessels. I wrote down one scripture. Um, this is exactly what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. That God's people are holy vessels. So for men, what are the ways that we, so your body, let me just make this real plain. Your body's a, it's a vessel. Just like a cup is a vessel to carry alcohol, the body is a vessel to carry what? The spirit of God. And so God wants that cup to be clean. God wants this cup to be clean. And if, you, if you're unclean, Jesus comes to forgive you and make you clean, so it's not doomed forever. But based on this story, not only are the cups being used in an unholy way, the holders of the cup are using their body in an unholy way. Moral of the story is, how do many men make their vessel unclean, unholy? Sex and alcohol. Don't miss the obvious in the story, sex and alcohol, okay? Who, don't necessarily raise your hand, but who has a problem with this? Every man ultimately has a struggle with one or both of these things, okay? And here, they're not fighting a good fight. Instead, they're throwing a good party, which for God becomes a big problem, okay? Let me just say this, we, we, we wanna be honest, that's part of being real. And what we don't wanna do is just sit here and say, yeah, some guys are they're really naughty and they drink too much. Okay, all guys are tempted to do naughty and to drink too much. True or false? True, yeah. Other than dead men, they don't struggle with this. Other men struggle with this, okay? So Satan has not changed the menu in 2,600 years. The same thing that he had on the menu for them Sex, alcohol, public party, dishonor God, have a good time, same thing, still tempting. Third thing we learned from the storyline, don't ignore the obvious. So what's gonna happen in chapter five, the mighty nation of Babylon, the great empire ruling the world comes down in the night. Did God give them any forewarning of what was forthcoming? Did he tell them, hey, here's what's coming guys? Yeah, he totally did. I read it Sunday, I'll read it to you briefly. 150 years prior in Isaiah 13, God says this, the oracle concerning Babylon, behold, I'm stirring up the Medes, he actually tells them who's gonna attack, against them, have no regard for silver, do not delight in gold, you can't pay these guys off. Their bows will slaughter the young men, they'll have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. 
Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. Its time is close, its days will not be prolonged. 150 years prior through a prophet, God said, hey, Babylon, uh, the Medes are gonna come and get you, so stop being naughty. 150 years warning, 50 years prior to this fall of Babylon in Daniel 5, Jeremiah 27 says this, thus, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So it's talking about the king of Babylon, my servant. I've given him the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him, his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their slave. What he says is, I allowed Nebuchadnezzar to succeed. His son, who's Nabonius, will take the throne. And then his grandson will take the throne. And then I'm taking the throne away from this family because they're not listening. That's a very specific prophecy. 50 years prior, in Daniel chapter two, God gave a prophecy through a dream that Daniel interpreted through a vision that ultimately judgment was coming to the nation of Babylon. The moral of the story is, don't ignore the obvious. And, and God has been really clear to this whole nation and to the men who lead not only the nation, but the family. Now, what's going on here, uh, as they are partying in the palace, what's happening just outside? The Medo-Persian joint armies, they were prophesied by Daniel roughly 60 years prior in Daniel chapter two, says that the, uh, had this picture of a warrior king, that the head of gold would be Babylon and that they would be overtaken uh, by a, a nation that's represented in silver and it had two arms, the Medo-Persian Empire united together to take down Babylon. And what happens when they are drinking is just on the other side of the walls is who? The Medo-Persian army. They had marched into the city of Babylon. Why did the men drink instead of fight? Number one, they just ignored the obvious. The men ignored the obvious. We do, right? Let's just, let's just be honest. What are some obvious signs that trouble is coming that men tend to be ignoring? Speak freely. Check engine light, yeah. Don't you wish your life had one of those, you know? How many of you know a guy who's driving with a check engine light on and he keeps driving and when it breaks down, he's shocked. My check engine light, full confession, is on. Uh, so, so there you go, okay? Other warnings that we get that as men, we tend to ignore. Health diet. Health, diet. Most guys like don't go to the doctor until something falls out. You're like, oh, you know, there's a liver. I probably need that. Hello, I, I need to schedule an appointment next year. Most guys don't go to the doctor until it's way too late. They ignore the obvious, okay? Other things that God's given us warning, we're not paying attention. Your wife says the same thing 12 times on date night before the food comes. And you're just like, I don't know what she's talking about. Something about me, I didn't hear it. Okay, it's a warning, right? It's a warning and, and we do get warnings. And this is what happens as men. We just, we physically hurt, but we just don't pay attention, right? We're relationally, it's not working, but we're not paying attention. What these guys are doing, they're ignoring the obvious. The army has been marching toward them for some time and they're still ignoring the obvious. Why are they ignoring the obvious? 
they believe that they are secure because they have fortified their life. So what they have, they have these massive walls and every king would add to it to show that his glory was greater than the king before him. Impenetrable walls. On the top, you could run a chariot around and turn it around and soldiers could fight from it from a high position. Surrounding it was a moat. Within the city, they had enough food and rations for years. They could also grow their own food and the Euphrates River flowed in bringing life and also fresh water to fortify themselves. They felt secure because they built fortification to keep them safe so that they could ignore what was obvious. Question, do men still try and fortify their life? Oh yeah. Give me some examples how as men, we, want, we try to fortify our life, build a fortification so that we don't have to worry about anything. Retirement plan is a big one for men, amen? It's a fortif- should you have a retirement plan? Yes, because we believe in Jesus and math, okay? So love Jesus and do the numbers, okay? We believe in both. But as a man, sometimes men will think, as long as I have this much in retirement or this much in savings or this much equity, now I'm safe. Are you ever truly safe? Not necessarily. How many of you guys were here in the double dip of 07, 08? All of a sudden your real estate cratered and people went bankrupt and, and men the day before felt very fortified. Like I've got $200,000 equity. Next day you're like, my house went upside down $400,000. I'm upside down. How many of you guys actually lost real estate in the double dip? Look around the room, okay? I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have real estate. I'm just saying, and, and I, I believe if you can own a house and build equity, praise be to God, I'm all for it but it's a bad fortification, there's no guarantee. What are the things do men use as fortifications in their life, trying to prevent them from having to endure anything they find undesirable? Other examples? Job, what was the other one? Insurance, a good lawyer. What do you mean overdo things that we think are for the Lord? So guys, overextend in serving the Lord and they don't actually get time with the Lord and the priorities that the Lord gives them, but they feel like if everything I do is for the Lord, then the Lord is gonna protect me. Sometimes we find fortification in our physical strength, like I'm just tough, I can grind it out. Sometimes I'm smart, I can figure my way through it. Uh, sometimes I'm just real stubborn and resilient, sort of whatever happens, I'm just gonna sort of you know, grind through it. Every man needs to look at his life and ask, you know, what are the walls I'm building? What is the fortification I'm trusting? And as a result, these guys have a fortified life and they ignore the obvious until it's too late. It's too late. There's nothing wrong with being wise. There's nothing wrong with being a good steward. But just because you have built something doesn't mean you're safe. That's the moral of the story in Daniel chapter five that ultimately the Lord is the only secure fortress. You're gonna see the whole nation of Babylon go down. You're gonna see King Belteshazzar literally taken. The guy who walks out totally fine is who? Daniel. So this guy had a fortification and this guy's fortification was the Lord. This guy loses everything. A new political regime comes into existence. We'll hit it on Sunday and they promote Daniel and give him a job. 
It's crazy. This guy, he has a fortification. This guy, God is his fortification. This guy goes down. This guy goes forward. The moral of the story is there's nothing wrong with fortifying your life, but the Lord ultimately needs to be your primary and first fortification. Your trust needs to be in the Lord's provision and protection for you. And anything you're trying to build to replace him is ultimately something that he is going to have a problem with. Number four, you don't know how much time you have. So what happens in Daniel 5? They're all drinking, it's craziness, over by the lampstand, kind of like a searchlight. What shows up on the wall? Just a finger, right? Just a big finger. And it writes something on the wall. This sobered everybody up. DJ stopped, everybody's, right? Like the bartenders dropped, he's, he was doing the, and he dropped it. I mean, this, this was the situation, right? How many of you, you've drank a lot and you've seen some things that were not there. This is not that, because they all saw it, okay? So this, this is not, so you've drank a lot and you're like, that looks like a finger. That's a very large finger, right? And do you see, and everybody's just like, oh, oh, okay. So all of a sudden we're now in a Scooby-Doo episode. Everybody's a little freaked out, okay? And, and it writes on the wall and they can't interpret what it means. So they, they go get all the, religious, spiritual, cult, weird leaders. They go up to Sedona, get all the guys that are in the lotus position, smoking weed around a rock. They bring them all down. They bring them all down to V-dub bus and they drop them off. And they're like, okay, tell us what this means. And they can't figure it out. So then they go get Daniel, in whom is the spirit of God. He has the Holy Spirit. And so the moral of the story is the spirit-filled guy is the helpful one. And what happens is Daniel interprets it. And basically the interpretation is this, it's over. When? Right now, okay? When God gets stuff done, sometimes it literally is just a flick of the finger. So the most powerful empire on the earth, God just shows up and says, you know what? It's over. The whole nation comes down in the night. Herodotus, the ancient historian says that this happened on October 11th, the year was 539 BC. That was my birthday. Babylon went down on my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Um, and what happens in that moment is uh, one of the greatest military moves in the history of the world. How many of you are current or former military? Can we honor and thank those guys? Honor and thank those guys, all right. In a lot of military training academies, they'll use the story of Daniel chapter five. And that was they, they couldn't penetrate the walls. They couldn't overcome the fortified city but the Euphrates River that flowed under the walls, they realized, oh, if we divert the river upstream, dry up the riverbed, what do we get to do? Just walk under the wall and conquer all the drunk guys at the party. Okay, this is not, there has never been a bunch of drunken guys at a casino who were ready for war, okay? So this doesn't take long, they lose this fight, but it's one of the great, uh, military strategist moments in the history of the world, it's legendary. They found a way. And the moral of the story is, if your fortification for your life is man-made and not God-made, eventually someone's gonna find a way in to wreck you. And that's exactly what happens. And what's happening here, they are shocked that all of this goes down so quick, okay? How many of you have been shocked when someone dies quickly and you didn't see it coming? Think of celebrity deaths in our day. 
Do you remember where you were when you found out that Michael Jackson was dead? I do, I was in line at an airport, I think in LA. And I remember everybody's phone went off. And I remember in line, everybody's doing this. Oh no, can you believe it? Is this true? I mean, the whole place just erupted. And the gal in front of me, I'll never forget what she said. She turned around and she said, I can't believe he died. I said, we all do. I mean, I'm gonna state the obvious, like, like, like a carton of milk, we all got an expiration date, like it, it's coming. And she said, I, she literally said, she said, I'm just shocked, I never thought he would die. No, I mean, no, Jesus never moonwalked. These are different guys. You know, only one guy lives forever. The rest of us, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna hit the end. But everybody was shocked, why? It happens so fast. Usually in death, you get a little lead time. Get cancer, get old. Sometimes it happens really quick. What's the most recent one where the whole world just stopped? Toby Bryant. The whole world stopped. Because it's like, he's gone? And it was horrifying. I mean, he's with his little girl. I mean, I, I just, as a dad, just worst case scenario, horrifying. But sometimes we get reminded that life is frail and fragile and it's short and we don't know how much time we have. And when those things happen, it tends to shock us and send us all into a bit of an emotional tailspin because it reminds us of our own mortality, okay? When we read the story of Daniel 5, this guy's thinking, the most powerful nation on the earth is mine. My grandpa is, was the king, my dad is the king. Now, now he's gone and I'm the king. I have a palace, I have gold, lots of gold. I have armies upon armies. I live behind a moated, fortified, walled city in which is a fortified castle. And tonight it's over. Didn't see it coming, didn't see it coming. The moral of the story is for men, you don't know how much time you have. How many of you have lost somebody very quickly and you didn't see it coming? We all have, right? Uh, this last, I think it was this last week was the anniversary of my father-in-law's death. I love him, he was a godly man. We named this church after him. He pastored a church for many years. We saw him at Christmas, had everybody over to our house. And then we drove a few hours away up into the mountains uh, to get some time together as a family and play in the snow. We were there just a few days and, and boom, we got the call. Grandpa's not doing well. And then boom, grandpa's dying. He's on his deathbed. So we make the journey over to his hospital, trying to get there as fast as we can so that the kids can say goodbye to grandpa. He's a great guy, we love him. Grandpa Gibb, couldn't speak. Didn't get to say goodbye to his grandkids or his daughters, or, or those of us who were his son-in-laws. Couldn't speak. He was near the end. We didn't see that coming. I was just thinking, man, just a few days ago, we had Christmas with grandpa, and a week later, we're gonna have grandpa's funeral. And what happens is sometimes as men, we think we have a lot of time we don't. And as a result, we let our priorities get out of order, assuming, well, I'll get to that later. And the point is, stay with the priorities that God has given you, because you just don't know how much time you have. You just don't know how much time you have. And that's the story of Daniel 5. 
If this guy would have known I'm dying tonight, he probably wouldn't have spent it drunk with strangers. Okay, But you don't know. Last one. Uh, just because you're old doesn't mean you're done. How many of you guys are old? Okay. How old is old? Let's just, let's just draw a line. Okay, where's old? 28? Okay, that... All right, we're gonna taser you. That's a bad answer. All right. Where, how old's old? 80s old. Well, yeah, 80s real old. What's that? 90. 90. How old are you? Not there, Not there yet. Who's the oldest guy here? Enoch, are you the oldest? How old are you? Are you the Enoch in the Bible? No. <laughs> 90, okay, he's 90. We're glad to have you, brother, okay? So stand up for a minute. Let him see what a, a very mature, ripe man looks like. There's 90, all right, that's good. So at this point in the story, Daniel is in his 80s, maybe 90. Okay, he, and the point is, is God still using him? Totally. You're gonna come back, I mean, we're only into chapter five. It has 12 chapters. God's gonna keep using this guy. And sometimes what men think is, well, at age 65, I'm going to retire. You don't retire from the kingdom of God. You could retire from your job, but you don't retire from the kingdom of God. You don't retire following God. You don't retire serving God. You don't retire worshiping God. You don't retire following God. He doesn't. His story is an amazing one of a spirit-filled man. Chapter one, he's a teenager. By chapter five, he's in his 80s. By chapter six, they think he may be 90 plus years of age. And the point is he is old, but he's not done. And the reason that he gets chosen to come in and interpret the writing on the wall from the hand of God is because the queen mother, Nebuchadnezzar, the grandpa, the old king, his wife remembered Daniel has the Holy Spirit. Let's get him, he'll be of help. It just goes to show if you're filled with the spirit and you serve the Lord, character counts. And at some point, even if you're on the bench, they're gonna call you back into the game because you're needed, because you're needed. So we wanna be a place that honors older men. And I want you to know that a lot of what happens in our culture, it is a dishonoring of older men, it just is. A lot of the sitcoms are about mature men getting mocked and made fun of. A lot of the movies and also family storylines for kids shows. Older men are mocked and dismissed. They're not honored. We wanna be a place that honors men, that particularly honors older men, and that honors older men, trusting that whether they've lived a faithful life or they're new to the game with Jesus and they've learned from the school of hard knocks, that they have vital contributions to give to future generations. And one of the things that happens in our culture is that families are broken, relationships are broken, legacies are broken, generations are broken, and we're missing the voice of wisdom that comes through experience. And there's some things that you can only learn by going through it. And so Daniel's a guy, he's old, but he's not done. For you older guys, you may be done with your career, but you're not done with serving God, and God is not done with teaching you lessons and giving you opportunities, amen? So we want this to be a place that you men are honored, and that you find a place to lead and to serve and that your experience is used to help raise up other guys. That being said, a couple of things for your group discussions. Number one, uh, which kids or grandkids need your prayer and help the most, okay? Right. Daniel got brought in because there was a need. Where is the need, especially in your family? 
right? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar didn't do a good job with his son. They didn't do a good job with the grandson. If you're in the leadership position as a father or grandfather, which person or persons in your family, they really need you to get active and involved like Daniel to enter in and to provide some service. Number two, here's the, here's the brutally honest question. What does Satan put on your menu? Our recovery guys tend to be more honest about this. Recovery guys are, there's two kinds of guys, honest guys and other guys, okay? And the recovery guys here, they'll just tell you, they walk up like, hi, I'm Tony, I just got out of rehab, but do you have a breath mint? Yes, I do, Tony, here you go, yeah. Okay, other guys, they have struggles, but they try to do them privately rather than publicly. They don't invite others in. And as a result, it becomes a crisis before anyone knows, okay? We're not here to catch you, we're here to help you. But what does Satan put on your menu, okay? For these guys, it was alcohol and sex. Number three, is there any obvious warning from God you need to heed? Has God, to use the analogy, has God turned the check engine light on in some part of your life? And if so, what do you need to pay attention to? You can't ignore that anymore. Your finances are at a place, you're like, I can't just pretend. My marriage, kids, job, career, whatever. You can't, your health, you can't just say, well, I'll just ignore that. It's, it's officially needing some attention. Number four, this is a new question to start asking every week. Which guys do we need to pray to accept your invitation to join us? We've all got guys who should be here to meet with God, to meet with other guys and to get built up. So ultimately they're not living a life that's all beat up. Who is that? Let's be praying for those guys. And then when they show up, let's be ready to receive them, amen? And welcome to this team, welcome them to this team. How do we pray for you today? And if you wanna pray, we'd love to have you pray. If you don't wanna pray, you don't have to pray. If you have a prayer request the way we like to do it, we like to huddle up like a football team and, and the guys share their prayer requests and we pray for each other. And let me say that this is one of the most powerful things that we do. I don't know about you, how many of you have never been in a room and seen a bunch of guys praying? I've seen a bunch of guys watching cage fighting. I've seen a bunch of guys drink a beer. I've seen a bunch of guys eating chicken wings. I've seen a bunch of guys yelling when a dead pigskin goes over a chalk line. I've not seen a lot of guys praying, okay? And so this is, this is where we're different, which means holy, it's the right thing to do. And uh, even if you're not a Christian, let us pray for you. Borrow our faith till you get your own. Lastly, uh, do you need a Bible? We did give some out at the beginning. Some of you came in late. Um, if you don't have a good Bible, there are guys here buying cases of Bibles to give them away. It's hard to be a Bible guy if you don't have a Bible. We're Bible guys, we wanna give you a Bible. This is a great study Bible. It's the translation that I teach out of. A cow gave its life, so you know this is a very special gift. And, uh, and if you need a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And uh, it's been really cool. We've had some guys who, came here and got their first Bible and then turned around and bought a case to buy the next guy his Bible. That's pretty awesome, amen? And we could celebrate that. Let me pray and break you into groups with your leaders. Uh, Father God, uh, thank you that we can learn from the scriptures, God, both positively and negatively. Positively, we see amazing examples like Daniel. And then we see horrifying examples like Nebuchadnezzar and his family and his grandson, Belshazzar, who blew everything. And Lord God, we, we wanna be filled with wisdom. For those of us, Lord God, who have been acting like Belshazzar, we've been sleeping around and drinking and blowing money and throwing parties and, and dishonoring you, Lord. I pray that uh, you would give us a spirit of repentance and humility. Thank you that the Lord Jesus died to forgive us and to make us clean vessels 
to fill us with the same spirit that filled Daniel so that we could walk with a kind of integrity and consistency by grace that he did. Lord, I pray for these men and their conversations for some of these guys. It's the first time they've ever sat down and really talked about God with some guys. This is awesome. I pray for their time of prayer, Lord, that they would pray for each other. And God, for the guys that are husbands and fathers, I pray that what we do here, they would take to their home, that they would open the word of God around their dinner table, that they would ask questions and listen, that they would lay hands and pray over their wife and their kids, and that some of the things that we do here would start to happen in their home, and that this legacy would continue for generations. And God, in light of the brief conversation on legacy, I wanna thank you for my dad, who knows you and loves you. I wanna thank you for Grace's dad who died knowing and loving you. I wanna thank you that our children, starting with my sons, know and love you. God, I pray for us as men, that whether we have physical or spiritual people that we invest in like sons and daughters, that you would give us a legacy so that when we're gone, the work of the gospel continues and that more people can meet the God of Daniel, whose name is Jesus Christ and whose name we pray, amen.